Welcome to the SMT Fit Parent Podcast. We are going to dive deep into topics surrounding fitness, nutrition, mindset, and everything in between. So if you're ready to simplify your health journey and make some positive changes in your life, you've definitely come to the right place. I am your host, Jeff Steinberg, owner of Stone Mountain Training. If you want to get direct access to me and tons of free resources, make sure to head to my free Fit Parent community at smtfitparent.com to join. And if you have any questions or want daily tips, make sure to give me a follow on Instagram at jeffsteinberg underscore smt. All right, let's do this. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode here. Um, today, we are lucky. I've got Kevin Carr here with me, and I'm super excited for the conversation that I'm about to have with him. Uh, you know, kind of just filling you in a little bit on, on who Kevin is. You know, Kevin's built a ton of experience in this field of sports medicine, you know, personal training over the years. You've He's been around for a while. Um, you know, my audience might not know you well, Kevin, just with it being just parents. But, you know, hopefully, you know, as your listeners listen in, they, you know, they know who you are. But basically, you know, you've worked with Olympians. You've worked with the the average Joe. And, you know, uh, as I asked you, you have so many positions. And I wanted to make sure that I didn't miss <laughs> any here as we were talking. So, you know, like you're a partner at Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning out in Massachusetts. You're the co-founder of the Certified Functional Strength Coach Certification, which, you know, shout out to them. Those are my certifications. Yep. Um, and you're the co-founder, you know, of Movement is Medicine, Massage and Movement Therapy Clinic. And you did leave this out, but I'm going to throw <laughs> it in there is, you know, you are an owner of a book. Got it right here. Functional Training Anatomy. So yep. people got to purchase that. And then, uh, you know, probably the most important title of all, dad, right? You know, yes. out of all of those there. So, you know, you're involved in a lot, man. Um, and I'd like to just kind of throw you into the water here right away and just ask, like, you know, why are you so passionate about what you do? And, and like, why do you do all of the things that you do? Because you're clearly, you clearly do a lot. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, I say I have like three jobs, four jobs under one roof at uh, MBSC because Movement is Medicine is located there. It's our, obviously our office for a certified functional strength coach. And um, a lot of the, all the work gets done kind of in one building, but uh, I've been fortunate to have a home that has allowed me to have all these opportunities. Um, I always say, when I started at Mike Bull Strength Conditioning in 2008 as an intern, I remember after being there that first week being like, oh my God, this could be my job. <laughs> and all I was doing was coaching high school kids every day. Like I didn't actually know the potential of you know what I could do, that I would have multiple businesses, I would go to massage school, that I would travel and teach, all that, that, that all came secondary. But I knew right away that that was like the home for me. Um, and that I was happy um, in that environment. And so I've been very fortunate that that's, you know, kind of where I landed and I had a lot of opportunities and I've just continued to, you know, look for opportunities there. I've had been fortunate to have Mike as a mentor. And because of all of that, you know, I, I've, my passion has continued to grow and I've been able to develop on my why. So like I said, when I started, I thought I'm just going to coach high school kids forever. And that was fine. <laughs> you know, like I did, I, no one gets into strength and conditioning for the money. <laughs> yeah. For right. Sure. You don't get in there because you want to have a Lamborghini, but you do it because you enjoy <laughs> it and you'll find a way to make a living. And, and so for me, I was able to build on my why there, like the things I was passionate about coaching also be, allowed me to become passionate about teaching and become passionate about writing and become passionate about rehab. And so for me, I think it was about landing in the right spot and finding a place that kind of aligned with the things that I my values and things that I cared about. So I've been, I've been very uh, fortunate in that sense. 
Yeah. And it, you know, it's still a dream of mine to get out to MVSC. You know, it's one of those where I was like, you know, as you said, with CFSCs to bring people out there, but um, I feel like I need to spend a week there. And one <laughs> of the big things too, is it's like, it seems like it's just such a contagious environment out there. You know, like everyone wants to make people better. And so I'm sure as you've met all these people, it just like makes it that much almost harder to say no because of all these opportunities just to help more people and with have, being with so many like-minded individuals out there. Yeah. I mean, I would say like when I started, I look around at the coaches that were there when I was an intern, right? Uh, Jamie Rodriguez, he's been in multiple NHL organizations, collegiate football organizations. He's at Exos with the um, combine guys now. I have Nicole Rodriguez, who is also at Exos and now is in Poland working at a professional soccer club. I have Josh Bonatol, who went on to the Bulls in Purdue and now runs uh, Future the online training platform, Devin McConnell, who's, you know, Phoenix Coyotes. And these people, they were just coaches at Boyle's then. But to me, that was like my Mount Rushmore, people who I learned from, right? And so I was very fortunate to, you know, be able to pick up from them. And then it's an environment that I think is valuable because it's a learning environment. It's a teaching environment. We have constantly have interns all year round. So we have young people who want to learn, who are eager. So that energy helps us. I think if we didn't have them, those of us who have been there for a long time might be less energized, right? But I had a whole new interns that showed up this week that are all excited to be there and want to learn. And so I have to be that way too. And so it's kind of a culture thing that kind of drives everyone to continue to work and continue to push. And it's a good environment to be in. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I, I, you know, I'm fortunate, like you said, that I felt like, kind of like you fell into that, you know, like it was just something and that was where you decided to go. And it, like you said, and everything just kind of happened from there. And I kind of feel the same way with, I got lucky where when I was looking for certifications, I just happened to fall across, you know, one of Mike's books. And then before you know it, I'm going for the CFSC and I'm like, holy cow, like this is amazing. And then like, here we are now, you know, X number of years later. So it's, it's cool. Everything that's been done there. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, there's, the interesting thing with that I'm like hoping we can kind of do here today is like you've you've been on podcasts, you've talked with like other trainers, you know, and you've talked like the science with the training and a ton of that. But I've you know, I'm excited for this one. So I think it's like a little different in the fact that like we're not really here to talk about the science. Like I could nerd out with you about that stuff all day, but <laughs> this is kind of one of those where it's like, you know, this is this is meant for parents and yep. it's something to I, I like that. You know, you can, yeah, we can use the scientific jargon, you know, but also like we can just have a conversation about like wellness and health and what we can do to apply that to, you know, the everyday average Joe. And, you know, before we kind of dive into some of the stuff that you do with like working, you know, with the average Joe, um, you know, I got to ask you, like, do you kind of laugh at the old you before you had a kid where you like thought you were busy and now yeah. you're like, right? Like, you're like, wait, I was yeah. doing all this before, but now I have to take care of everything else before I can even worry about that. Yeah. You learn to reprioritize your time. Right. Um, and like, for me, it's been very good because it's allowed me to be better at shutting down when I'm here. Um, a book I read a long time ago, uh, was the power of full engagement. And it's one of those books that I reread very often. And it talks a lot about being fully engaged in whatever you're doing, whether it's work, whether it's time with your family, whether it's a project that you're doing, whatever it might be, and how you'll be more productive and better at the things that you're doing if you're not trying to spread yourself between a bunch of things. And it's a book you have to keep reading because you, when you get busy, you, you screw these things up. And yeah. so um, I was kind of reminded of that when you were like, okay, well, I, I got to you know, take care of my kid. I, I come home every night. I'm usually the one that puts her to bed. It's like actually my favorite kind of thing to do. My wife's probably like your nights. one time you're with her, right? Yeah. Like I'm with her in the morning, sometimes during the day, like in the middle of the day, but then I come home at night and I'm like, my, I, my wife's at work. 
And so I take her and I have my nighttime with her and I put her down and like, it, it's allowed me to better prioritize my time and be more thoughtful with the things I give my time to. And you're, you're right. When you don't have a kid, um, you think you're busy. It's just like when you're in college, I always tell the kids that we work with who are college yeah. students, they're like, I'm so busy. I'm so tired. And their day starts at like 9am. They have class for like <laughs> yeah. five, four or five hours yeah. and then they're done. Um, and then like, oh, you don't even know until you get a job. And then it's a whole nother level once you have kids. <laughs> yeah. And their work is due like once every four days. In between yeah. Each. yeah. <laughs> and so it, it's cool that, you know, you bring up the powerful engagement because, you know, one of the questions that I had for you is, you know, like you said, like big lifestyle changes for you when you became a dad and like, how do you balance it all? Number one, like you said, like, so like you have your business part, you have, you know, like your wife and then you have your family time and then you have your personal health that you need to take mm -hmm. care of. So like, how have you adjusted to that role when you became a parent of, like you said, you have the wealth and knowledge, you know, the importance of it all. So like, what have you noticed has helped you balance everything with such a full plate? Um, well, my, my wife is unbelievable. <laughs> She's amazing. Um, make sure so she that, listens to this. Podcast. I will. I'm going to, I'm going to, if you could clip this and uh, yeah. send it to her, it would be good. Um, but no, we had to become much more intentional with how we communicate to one another. Um, and like every stage of your life, those things change like relationships or work. Right. So, um, we had to learn to like, be like very intentional with how we ask for things and how we talk about our own needs. Like, like today, um, I knew she was coming in and to work out. And sometimes like she comes in to work out when I have clients, so, like I can't necessarily look after kids. So she'll push the stroller and exercise. But today I was like, Hey, come at this time. Cause I can sit and I can play with Kendall, uh, you know, feed her, do whatever she has to do, change her diaper. You can work out without the, without the kid. Right. And that little thing makes a big difference to her. Just like her, maybe letting me do some work or, you know, I have to travel frequently for work. You know, she takes the brunt of that. And so we became much more intentional about like trap, like my travel schedule. I'm like, Hey, these are the times I'm going to travel. Is that okay with you? I can move this. And when before it was just kind of like, Hey, I'm traveling now. I've worked now. You have to just be more intentional. And, uh, I think that that's an adjustment that everybody goes through. And then even our time together, we had a conversation recently. We were like, okay, we need to, you know, make sure we make time for us still. Um, because that'll, that's often the first thing that goes in these situations. You're not going to cut out on your job. Typically, you're not going to cut out on your kids. You just cut out on the person you live with and you just have a roommate. And so we were like, uh, like this week we're going out on Friday night and we have an amazing nanny, um, who's taking care of, uh, Kendall while we go out. And I'm like, listen, we have to be intentional about our time and our communication. And so that is something that's obviously an ongoing project forever. Um, but we had to really work on that, uh, initially. Yeah, I like that. I like that thought. Even just like that saying, like, be intentional, right? And, yeah. and it goes back to like the full engagement piece. But right, like this isn't like, a, oh, I'll, I'll get to my workout later in the day. Because if it's not planned, it's probably not happening. And mm -hmm. that was one thing I noticed, like I went from, you know, like the hour and a half workouts in the past <laughs> to then like I had kids, I'm like, I'm happy if I get 30 minutes, like, how is your routine changed? Like, what have you or that was the biggest thing too, is like, I found like, really like more of like that minimum effective dose. I was like, geez, what I was doing before was like, so I enjoyed it, you know, like just being like a gym, you know, junkie, but it was like, so unnecessary to keep my health where I wanted it to be. So like, how mm -hmm. what have like you changed in your routine to keep taking care of yourself? Well, one, like you said, I, I schedule it intentionally. Like if it's not on my Google calendar, it might as well not exist. <laughs> so um, I put it in there intentionally and I don't let clients budget um, because it's like I'll nest it in the middle of my day in between clients so that like, hey, I know I'm going to get it in. That's a time when I'm at work. Um, I'm actually, I've been more motivated to exercise actually strangely because I think I think about the implications of my health more, right? Like 
when you work out before, you know, it's for sports or for vanity and you do care about your health, obviously. But now I generally am thinking about my daughter. I'm like, okay, so she's six months old now. I'm 35. Like if I want to be around and healthy and able to, you know, play with her kids, like I think about my dad, my dad's in really good shape. My mom's in really good shape. Uh, they're both in their mid sixties. Um, and I think, okay, so like if she's, if she's going to be 35, right, I'm going to be 70. So what type of shape do I want to be at 70 and what type of health do I want to have at 70? And I'm like, okay, so I have to be more intentional about kind of how I do things, but my time is less. And so, um, but they have gotten shorter, but I'm very much on the mindset now of like, Hey, if I can get 30 or 45 minutes in today and I can use it, it's the best of my ability. I just want to be consistent. I want to put the X on the calendar each day, check the box, so to speak. Um, to just make sure I'm getting consistent efforts. Because like you said, it used to be like, hey, I'm going to give myself 90 minutes. I want to make sure I do this program. And I'm like, it's great if I get these certain things in each week. But it's more important from a big picture standpoint that I'm healthy. My weight is healthy. My blood pressure is good. My cardiovascular health is good. I've really started to prioritize the bigger health picture stuff now more than ever because I just am thinking about uh, the longevity piece more than I ever have. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I know it's it's, it's, it was such like a mindset shift to like, you know, I used to be like numbers driven, like, oh, can mm -hmm. I, can I lift a little bit more? And then it was like, you know, like my son, when he extra, he's two and a half. And so like when he's down there with me, like he doesn't care if I can put an extra like 20 pounds on the bar or anything like he's like, dad, you better be able to go in the backyard and push me on the swing. And like you said, in your grandkids. Exactly. So yeah, it, it's a, it's an interesting mindset shift. Like you said, it's probably like the biggest motivator we need to just not only be here, but so we can be like active in their lives too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, so kind of like shifting gears and I, you know, I want to talk about the big sign behind, you know, movement is medicine. Um, it's a big part of what you do. I need to get myself a sign looking like that, yeah. but you know, you see lots of people, you see athletes, gen pop, I'd say you probably have seen it all. Um, yeah. one thing that I'm curious is, you know, there are common injuries I see with like the clients who I work with, you know, a lot of like back issues, knee issues, shoulders, but you know, I'm curious, like, what are the, like some of those common pains that you see adults have yep. and you know, like. For example, I'm basically like just trying to figure out like, all right, like what advice could we give to any parents listening to this? Like if they're not in pain right now, here are some things that typically come up. So maybe we can, you know, reduce the likelihood of those things happening for people. Yeah. And I've tried to start tracking in the clinic, like what we see oh, nice. uh, the most. And it literally kind of goes in this order, um, like SI related low back pain, like mixed uh, sacrum lumbar hip type issues where it shows up kind of at their sacrum right around where their belt would be like if you think about where your belt is on your above your butt mm -hmm. right there um followed probably by shoulder um like general anterior shoulder lateral shoulder pain and stiffness um, inability to do things overhead uh or sleep often it's like hey my shoulder hurts when i sleep uh type pain and then neck pain um so trap like your your upper shoulder up into the side of your neck all the way to the base of your head it's those three that i see the most frequently um, out of people. And, you know, I mean, the common thing that be like, Oh, I sit too much or, you know, I'm at my computer too much. And it's easy to say, those are the things, but I said, there's a lot of people who sit and work a lot, but don't necessarily have those issues. I tend to tell people like, what are you doing when you're not sitting and working? Um, and like you said, movement is medicine. The big thing I always tell anybody when they come in to see me is like, let's just see how we can get you moving more. I don't really care about the intensity initially. I don't necessarily care um, as much about what the mode is like, Hey, you want to do X. Okay. Let's find a way to get you to start doing X. And then we can start to narrow down the choices into good, better, and best 
for that individual. But I'm always saying, let's just find a way to typically for those people get more variable movement in your day on a daily basis. If for the average gen pop person, it's generally, uh, let's try to get things just moving in general. And by and large, most of those chronic issues, like, hey, my hip or back has been hurting me for months now, those things start to get better as they move more frequently. And do you think like, you know, like you said, like, so for example, like I, uh, w- with having my kids, I feel like I started having more black, like back flare ups and, you know, like mm-hmm. I started focusing more on like core, like, do you feel like when you're doing these evaluations, whether obviously it depends on the body part, but is it like a general weak, well, like a weakness that's causing these things? Is it because of like the tightness that's occurring, you know, from the inactivity? Like, what do you feel is more of like the root cause there? Obviously there's, <laughs> it's so hard to say, you know, like every situation is different, but I'm sure over time you see a lot of similar situations. Yeah, it's, it's actually a really good question because they always want to come in and say, is it the one thing, right? Is this the one thing that's going to cause it? And then I usually back it up and try to take a 10,000 foot view on the person as a whole. And usually it's a combination of a lot of things that they have going on. One, from the physical standpoint, okay, hey, they're not exercising very much or they're exercising in a way that might be exacerbating a movement issue. It, like, let's say it's someone who, you know, um, has a really stiff shoulder and they play tennis five days a week. Okay. Um, at some point, probably the joint isn't going to get in the right positions to absorb and adapt to the stress of that activity very well. And so there's going to be some, some pain with that. Hey, their back hurts. Um, and they're at the computer a lot during the day. Um, and then they like to go for a run right after, and then they feel stiff in their back after. Okay. Maybe there's some things we could do to make you feel a little bit better, but then typically when it's chronic also, I say, let's take a look at everything else in your life, because we know that pain isn't just a result of the physical tissue manifestation. The way the pain shows up isn't just because your hip is stiff always. It's also because, you know, maybe in your life you're working or you just had a kid, so you're not sleeping very well and you're stressed because you're trying to manage the demands of your job with the demands of your family and you're not sleeping. Um, And because of that, your nutrition is a little bit off. All of those things we know contribute to the pain experience for an individual. That's why there's some people who by an orthopedic assessment might not move very well, but they don't feel bad at all. And there's some people who move really well if you put them through a screen and they're like, I'm in constant pain, right? And so we can't always say, I tell them like, we can't always say it's just because X. That might, that's probably a contributing factor. It's a big piece of data. But I say like, sometimes I've gotten people to move better and they still don't feel good. And so I'm like, okay, well, let's talk about the other things that you have going on. And in their mind, sometimes they're like, I just came here for a massage and some stretches. I'm like, I'm going to give you that. But let's talk about stress management. Let's talk about sleep. Let's talk about nutrition and, and all the things that go with it. And typically when you start to take little, um, you know, tiny gains in each of those columns, you see big changes in how they feel, right? Um, because the stress is kind of just a manifestation of all these other things. The pain rather is just a manifestation of all these other stressors within their nervous system that they're typically dealing with. Yeah, no, I, yeah, it's crazy how it's, it's so, and it's also, yeah, it's just, it's so much more than that pain site, which I I love that you mentioned. And and rarely is that ever, like you said, the, the actually like the cause of what's going on or even it's like so frustrating too. I'm sure you see this too. Like, I know like whenever I go somewhere, like with an injury, I used to be like, like my back hurt. I'd be like, why aren't you even spending time on like where my back hurts? It's like, well, that hurts because you're actually really tight. Like in your thoracic spine or like you're tight in your hips. Like it has nothing to do with that location. And like you said, people don't even think about all these things beyond the physical pain that's causing it. And so Mm -hmm. you brought up a lot of things like sleep, nutrition, all these things that are going to 
play a role. How do you help someone through that without like overwhelming them yep. with all of that information too? Cause it's like, you know, like how do you, like you said, you, you, you offer them stretches in the movement piece, but then you give them other things to work on too. How do you present that to, you know, help them get through that process? Yeah. And it, it you got to tiptoe when you start to explain pain in a way that is outside of their traditional perspective that they think, you know, hey, it's because X is tight or because I, because this is weak, right? And again, those are always contributors, but not the whole picture because what they start to hear when you first say that is, oh, you're saying this is all in my head. Because I'm like, pain is pain is a result of the brain and the nervous system more than it's the tissues. That's why people can have phantom limb pain. Like I had a client who lost his leg in Vietnam and he had foot pain every single day. He didn't have a foot. Uh, and so, wild. Wow. yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, cause your brain still has the representation of the right foot in the head. And so it, there's still pain there. And so when I'm sure wait, yeah, when we hyper focus, that probably doesn't help either. Right. Cause like then you're just yeah, so sensitive. You're like, Oh my God, my foot. Yeah. Because their world gets narrow. What happens when you have an injury? Your whole world narrows. You can't do the things yeah. you want to do. If your back hurts, Jeff, it's harder for you to take care of your kids. It's harder for you to go to work. It's harder for you to do everyday tasks. So all of your world narrows. So that causes stress for people. And that's why things exacerbate. When they have chronic pain for a long period of time, your nervous system gets good at recognizing that. And I always say it's like a smoke alarm. Like if I had a smoke alarm in my house, and it goes off. But then the next time it goes off a little easier. And the next time it goes off a little easier. That's like your nervous system. Your nervous system is really smart. It learns. And so what I tell them is like, we have to make it less sensitive. I'm not saying you don't have an injury at that site and your pain is very real because you feel it. But what we want to realize is that the, the things driving your pain could be outside of that particular thing. Like so the woman was like, I'm just going to roll it like five hours a day. And I'm like, well, that's not going to get rid of it. Uh, but maybe if you roll it for a few minutes and do some stretches and then go strength train and then, uh, you know, work on some mindfulness and sleep, uh, then you might feel a little bit better. And so take better advantage just, of those five hours you're going to do rolling. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, if you have stuff. five hours to do <laughs> rolling and stretching, you can probably work on some of these other yeah. things. And so, um, so when I explain it to them, I say, you've got to figure out what they're willing to do. Because if you give them too much, and that's going to stress them out even more. <laughs> so I always you got to get a picture on an intake and figure out like, hey, like where can we start with this individual? And if that means a little bit of foam rolling, a few stretches, and uh, you go for a walk uh, for ten minutes a day, that starts to get things moving a little bit. And then maybe next time they have that habit down, and I say, okay, now uh, can you try these this one strength exercise every day and start to build? It's like a snowball down the hill as you go. And so over time, you can start to build habits. And actually, I have a good story about this if you want. Um, I, I love stories. Let's go. It's basically our bedtimes anyways, right? So let's, yeah, let's, yeah. this will be our yeah. bedtime story. <laughs> so I have this client. I was actually going to post this on Twitter. Uh, I'll probably do it tomorrow. So I have this guy. I've been working with him for a long time. And when he first came to me, uh, he's in his mid-50s when we started. He's 60 now. And we first came to me and never really exercised in any organized fashion. Um, worked from home was very sedentary and he was only coming one day a week and he was kind of coming begrudgingly knowing that it was good for him to come to see me, but not really excited to come. He was good for a cancel every now and then sometimes he'd bag out in like 40 minutes and be like, Hey, I'm good for the day. And, but I stuck with him cause I liked him, but I'm like, he might be not be a guy that doesn't stick. And so early on, I tried to talk to him about his step count because I knew he was not moving at all. He was very cardiovascularly unfit. So I'm like, Hey, you have an iPhone. Can we just track your steps? He's like, I'm not interested in doing that at all. <laughs> I was like, okay. So I could have pushed that and I might have lost the guy, to be honest. Uh, 
And like we did the same workout probably for a year, one day a week and got it maybe a tiny bit better, not particularly stronger, but he was definitely better than if he didn't do it. Right. And I could have been the traditional trainer guy and be like, you got to add one or two more days. You got to track your steps. You got to log your food. Um, but I knew that that wasn't going to be a winning strategy with this guy. So it took about two years before he was willing to even look at his steps on his iPhone. Okay. But at this point he had grown to actually like working out with me. He'd come every week. Uh, we'd get two days a week. Sometimes we get one day a week. He actually enjoyed being there. Um, and then he's like, okay, I'll track my steps. So we looked at his whole year, his entire year. You know what his average step count at the end of the year was per day? Before he started focusing on it? That, the, no, just, just, just tracking it. Like I would, we weren't even, I was like trying to encourage him to walk, but I knew he wasn't doing very much, but he was at least say, looking at the metric. I'm going to say 2,300. 3,300. Ah. So not a, not a lot, right? Not a lot. They said yeah. the old 10,000 step a day crowd would tell you, you know, like that's terrible, right? Yeah. But now we had a number. Yeah. And so I said, okay, so let's see if we can add a little bit more each day. Um, and I got him even in between his bouts of sitting at the computer, get up and do some squats and do some pushups. And then just like I said, do 10 squats, 10 pushups, go back to doing work, right? So just break up the eight hours of sitting next year, 40, 4,600 steps a day over a year though. So that's a yeah. whole behavior change still not outstanding by any means. But still, right? Uh, like how many, I, it's a lot of extra miles, right? A thousand extra steps a day times 365 adds up. Yeah. And now this past year, he still comes see me consistently. He does his exercise on his own. He goes to yoga one day a week and he had 6,500 steps a day on average. And so I'm like, it took the guy five years to get there. But these behavior changes will only come when these people are ready to do them. And so... You, so you're going to have some people who are gung-ho. They're like the ideal client. They'll do everything you say. They're going to follow your instructions to the point that they're almost neurotic. Then you have some people who you have to kind of drag along with you. And as you have to figure out who that person is. And if you're the individual doing it, like go to your level of comfort, but work on building a habit. This guy just said, hey, I'm going to try to just do like a walk a day, like a half a mile or a mile. Okay, let's just start with that. Just do that. That's better than not doing anything. I think some people get discouraged because they think, oh, it's not enough, right? Yeah. But that habit can build over a period of years to a habit that can be very impactful. And so I always try to use that as a lesson for behavior change for people that it's going to take the time it takes for you. But it's the fact that you're moving forward that's uh, really important. Yeah. And right, like, I think the two take-home points for me, like listening to that is number one, like, consistency is different for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. Like for you right now, consistency is whether it's 30 minutes, 40 minutes, just getting that workout in. And that's, that's what works for you right now. For him at the time, it was coming to see you just the one time per week. And then, mm -hmm. you know, that, that changed with time, but, um, it leads to the second takeaway for me, which is also like, there's no one size fits all approach to this. Like, and I think that's where, you know, it helps when you have years of experience and you've worked with people to understand what people need and meet them where they're at. But sometimes I feel like people get discouraged because they see others doing something they're like, well, I should be doing that. And it's like, well, you're, you're not that person. You're, you're a different animal and, and you have to handle your situation and approach this in your way. And as long as mm -hmm. you're progressing and staying consistent, you're going to get where you need to go. Don't worry about where other people are at because they're entirely different. Exactly. Exactly. Love it. All right. Well, um, I guess then my question to just kind of close up like the movement is medicine part here is 
what would you say are like your gold standard things that you like to give to people? I would say like, what are like the most commonly prescribed either like exercises for them to do at home or like stretches to help like reduce their likelihood of experiencing these things? Like if you're like, hey, if you do these things on a daily basis, it's going to hopefully keep you out of my office now, yep. right? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I'll tell you the things, if I look at uh, my exercise.com like account, I send them their homework exercises through exercise.com. Okay. Um, I 90, 90 hip stretch. So I think about, they get external hip mobility and internal hip mobility, like ER and IR uh, doing that. Most people need it. Um, almost everybody needs it. Um, and it tends to help their hip, how their hips feel as well as how their back feels. Um, cat camel, like lumbar extension and flexion, um, to start to get their pelvis and their spine moving, um, in most directions, most people have a really, you know, stiff lumbar spine as it goes into flexion. Like they just sit all day. So they never actually move their spine, like through a full range of motion and then shoulder circles, like controlled articular rotations, where I just have them literally going, you know, big circles through a full range of motion. Like when do people hurt their shoulder when they're grabbing something out of the back seat of the car? Yeah. Right. Cause the shoulder's never there. So I'm like, listen, your shoulder hurts because you went and did something in a range that hasn't been in, in 10 years. So it's stiff. And so getting them to move into ranges. So I think about, you know, the two, uh, the four knots as like Greg cook calls them, the, the ball and oh, socket like joints, that. um, the ball and socket joints, and then their spine to get moving. Generally, if you get those things moving, a lot of other things feel better. You'd be amazed how many necks feel better when their shoulder starts moving better. Right. And how many backs feel better when their hips start moving better. So those are probably the three biggest things I find myself giving to people um, consistently. I like that. You know, the one the one that you actually mentioned that I don't, I, I know I do the 90-90, do the cat camel, I do all that stuff. But I, I never even really did the shoulder cars. I would do it for people who had like shoulder discomfort, but I never even mm -hmm. thought of using that more like preventatively. I did a lot of, you know, like band pull apart stuff or some like floor slide related things just to like open the chest up. But I like the thought of the the shoulder cars too. So my clients listening to this will be seeing that movement <laughs> going yeah. into their programs moving forward. Um, all right. So, you know, we talked a lot about the body and, you know, the different things that we need to do, but another thing that you did. So when I initially, like quote unquote, met you, you didn't meet me, but I went to your first presentation, my first year at perform better, it was on cognition. Mm -hmm. And you were talking a lot about the brain. And, you know, one of the things that you talked about was like, we spend so much time from the collarbone down, but like, you know, we don't always talk about what's going on above the collarbone. And you, mm -hmm. you know, you have your presentations that you've done on this and, you know, I'd love to have you kind of talk a little bit about like the importance of all this like exercise and nutrition and, and sleep and all this and how that's so important for our brain and like reducing our risk of like dementia and things like that. Yeah, I think uh, for so long when people talk about health, there's always been this duality between the brain and the body, right? But it's like one thing. Um, and so the things that we do with our body from an exercise standpoint have a huge impact on our cognition long-term. There's boatloads of research to show, you know, your aerobic health, uh, impacts actually the size and volume of your brain, which is insane. They can actually, you can actually add brain volume by improving your cardiovascular health, like from blood flow. Um, the, you can stave off like cognitive, uh, age related decline, um, improve memory and executive tasks and functioning by being more physically fit by lifting weights and things of that nature. And I think some people aren't motivated to lift weights because maybe they didn't have a sporting background. They don't have an athletic background. So they don't identify with physically going to the gym, right? It's like, but 
I think there's a lot of people that really value their cognitive health. I think everybody values their cognitive health. I couldn't think of a worse um, long-term outcome than something like Alzheimer's, right? And so um, when you think realize that like one of the most powerful ways you can maintain your cognitive health as you age is by exercising and, and moving and staying physically fit, it opens up the idea of exercise to a much broader group of people. Um, because I don't think anybody wants to have that when they get older. And there's just boatloads of research to show how valuable it can be. And as you get older, you like, you don't really care about having huge arms or pecs anymore. Like that was cool when we were like I, in high school, like you didn't think about your brain, but now you start to think like, this is really what matters to me. And so, um, getting clients to think about that. And I think most people, probably a lot of people listening to this like never thought like, oh, wow, you know, consistently strength training three days a week has a huge impact on uh, the neurological uh, gray matter, the, the functioning of my actual brain cells, um, or that, you know, by improving my VO2 max by a small amount, I can actually improve the size of my brain as I age when traditionally people, when you look at uh, studies, their brain actually shrinks as they age. And so there's a pretty powerful effect there that I think many people probably just aren't aware of. Yeah, no, I, uh, I totally agree. And it's like you said, and it doesn't seem like it takes much, you know, to experience nope. the benefits. So I, that was like one thing too. like, what did you find were, you know, I, I call them like the bare ass minimums, like things like, you yeah. know, like those are like kind of like the tasks. like, what would you say are those in regards to both like the aerobic side of it? And then the resistance side, like you mentioned, like three days per week for strength training. Like, what does that look like? If like, I'm like the laziest person, I'm like, Kevin, I hate exercise. I hate all this. I know I need to do it. What's the bare minimum I got to do to make sure that I'm taking care of my, you know, my brain? Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's some uh, three kind of studies I could research, uh, reference that are pretty interesting. So there was one where they, they tracked, um, a group of 60 plus year old women. Um, and they had a control group who didn't strength train a group that just did stretching for a year. And then a group that strength trained twice a week for a year. Um, and they looked at, um, two things they looked at, they tracked their cognitive and executive function over that time. And then they tracked the year following, um, and where in the year following, they didn't control their exercise choices at all. Um, and then they, what they found is not only improve gray matter. So like the structure, the actual tissue in their brain, they, they were able to improve it. Um, they were actually able to slow decline in people that were already seeing decline. Um, but they were able to improve their executive function and their memory and cognition. So executive function being like, Hey, when you go to leave the house and you have your kid, you're like, okay, I got to get the keys to my car. I got to get the, um, I have to get the seat for the car seat. I have to get the diapers. I have to get the wipes, like the, all the things you have to do in order to be able to get out of the house in a normal basis. Mm -hmm. They were improved the people's ability to have recall in those in situations. And then in the year following without even controlling what the other group of women were doing, the strength training women, they didn't make them keep lifting. Their function was still better a year later, regardless of what they did. And they just lifted twice a week. And what's what you realize in these research studies is they're not even doing what we would consider to be great training okay. because they're in a controlled lab. So they're like, okay, they're probably not doing much of an active warm up. These people were just strength training. They weren't doing any aerobic work. They were just lifting weights on machines um, two days a week. So you would look at that program and be like, hey, that's less than ideal. Yeah. But it had a very large impact on their cognitive function. Um, alternatively, when you think about cardiovascular impact, um, like I said, traditionally, you would think that when you looked at all these studies for years, doctors just assumed that as people got older, their brains got smaller. 
uh, once they hit midlife, you would see brain volume, the actual size of your brain, um, your cortex would shrink. And what they did is they did the same thing. They took a group of men and they tracked brain volume and they took the other half um, who they tracked brain volume and they had them do cardiovascular exercise. Again, really low volume a couple times a week, basic um, aerobic exercise. And they actually measured with fMRI, measured their brain volume over the course of the year. And they made huge changes in the actual volume and size of their brain um, from having them get and the changes in aerobic fitness were not large. There were small changes in VO2 max um, for these people who were previously sedentary. And so, yeah, so, you're not saying like these people need to go run five miles. We're talking no. just like a, any like so. Like, do you know what they what kind of cardiovascular stuff they were doing? Um, it, it was like it was like stationary bike because again, oh, it's okay. done in a lab. Um, oh, right. So right. they put them on stationary bike for like a year, a couple times a week, and and they would see huge changes in. Uh, and then also they measured cognitive function of memory also vastly improved. Um, and so what you find is when you look at the research is the mixed modes together have the best impact strength training and aerobic function. And so one last one I'll share, which is you talk about minimum effective dose. Um, you talk about cognitive health, specifically depression. They looked at, they were looking they, they, they did this as a research review. So they took all of the research regarding exercise and strength training specifically as it relates to, you know, uh, cr like chronic or like uh, low to mild depression, not severe depression, but low yeah. to mild depression um, that had been diagnosed by a professional. Um, and what they found is people who strength trained consistently um, had a significant impact on their, uh, the symptoms reported from their depression, as much as the fact that many of them um, were able to get off of SSRIs. Um, and so what they found is that these people who strength trained their strength training had a positive impact on their reported symptoms and usage of antidepressive drugs, regardless if they even got stronger. So they didn't have to actually get stronger at all. They could be lifting the same weights on day one as they were on day 365 um, from a That's strength standpoint. But they were, just actually, they were just moving. And so, again, what is good, better, and best? Like You might be like, oh, my God, these people didn't get stronger in an entire year. They didn't, but they, they feel better. Um, because part, part of symptoms of, you know, depression and cognitive health are, you know, blood flow, uh, the hormones, um, all of the things that come from exercise that help people feel better, right? That doesn't mean that you can cure all depression with exercise, but it means that you can help people's symptomology significantly by getting them to do things. And so from a big wide perspective of cognitive, of cognitive health, there seems to be a huge impact on things from anxiety to depression to obviously cognitive decline and Alzheimer's. Yeah. And it's like you said, like when we think there too, like there's so much just in that right there to be enough to make someone want to exercise, right? Just to mm -hmm. show the value of it beyond, of course, everyone wants to look good, but just like when we look beyond that, it's like, holy cow, just any type of movement too. Like we're literally saying here, like it doesn't matter what you do, just do something mm -hmm. and you're going to experience some type of benefit from that. And one of the other things you mentioned too, for people that I thought was pretty interesting, because like I said, some people don't enjoy doing like regular exercise. Mm -hmm. um, and it's important that they do some of that. But like one of the things you mentioned in one of your presentations was stuff about, uh, what was it? You said like emotional activities and like the benefit of those mm -hmm. as well. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's funny. Like a lot of people, as you get older, you stop engaging in play. Yeah. You stop doing things that are exploratory, right? Your whole life is planned and programmed, and that even comes with exercise, 
right? Like you follow a program, you do what it says, and there's a lot of value from that, from a, from a consistency standpoint, if you're trying to get better and have uh, progression over time. But so much of the activity of play that makes your brain what it is when you're younger, the way you develop your brain and develop your athleticism and develop all these variable skills when you're young is from variable activities, right? And once you stop playing organized sports, or even before that, because the, just the word organized in sports starts to make it less play, like the, stop, time you, time, the time you stop exploring your environment, you start to lose those things. And you see it in some of the people that come to train with us, like they feel uncomfortable doing things that aren't you know, kind of in their safe little box. So starting to get people to move in multiple planes of motion, to be reactive, to do things that are spontaneous, um, whether that's simple as doing ladders and skipping and shuffling or doing reactive agility drills or things that are like dancing and Tai Chi, things that are um, multivariable and reactive and not necessarily always choreographed. Um, can have a huge impact on people's brain activity. There's a, another really good book, um, and this is great for parents, actually, this book specifically, Smart Moves by Carla Hannaford. I haven't read it. I have heard of it mentioned before, though, maybe by one of your podcasts before. Yeah, you know. probably. It's, it was in that presentation. So Carla Hannaford is um, like a developmental psychologist. She works with kids specifically who have developmental learning um, and emotional issues. And she her book kind of talks, it's very practical-based about what she does with kids um, who have issues like kids who can't focus in class or kids who might have behavioral issues. Um, and, and it's all movement based approach, getting them to connect their right brain and their left brain. So things that cross the corpus callosum, the little thing that connects the right and left side of your brain. Um, so, um, things where they have to twist their hips or, you know, that's why I like ladder drills, it makes you coordinate your right side and your left, left side. That's why I like skipping and crawling. It makes you coordinate your right side and your left side. And there's a bunch of research to show that like coordinated cross body activities improve people's, um, reading and math skills. Um, and, and another book spark, uh, by yeah. John Rattay, he talks a lot about the power of exercise as far as helping kids with organ, with, uh, standardized testing and things of that nature. And so, um, that could also apply to the adults who has to go to work after the adult who has to go, who has to spend time with their family after maybe probably emotionally, they're going to be better off if they have some sort of exercise. And so I think involving things that are less rigid sometimes for people or getting them to participate in activities outside of the gym that are a bit more variable, whether it's a sport or a recreational activity has huge dividends for people because they're like, again, as you get older, your world gets more narrow and we want to continue to try to widen it for them as long as we can. Yeah. I like that. And I think it's just an important thing to remember, like we need to find ways to have fun, right? Mm -hmm. So we got to go do things and, and that's going to benefit us and it's going to help us take care of ourselves. You, so we've covered like the aerobic part, you've covered like the resistance and that stuff. And, you know, I feel like there's like two other parts that I want to make sure that you talk about that we covered. Number one is like the nutrition part and how <laughs> that's so important to the brain. And then also a little bit on, I'll, I'll let you talk about food. And then I have one story that you tell that I like that I want to make sure you tell. Okay. Um, so nutritionally, I mean, and I'm not a nutritionist by any means, but there's some really, no pun intended, low hanging fruit as far as getting people better. Uh, from a health standpoint. And so like, typically, when I first start a discussion with someone, unless they say nutrition to me, I, I don't have the conversation. But then once we start to get a little deeper, that always usually bubbles up about how do they eat. Um, and it's another thing where I'm like, I'm not going to go, you're, we're not going to go from junk food to, you know, kale smoothies on day one. 
Yeah. Like no one's going to do that. We might never go to kale smoothie to be honest, but, uh, uh, that's not where I'm going to be, but, <laughs> um, but you know, we're, we're not going to make drastic jumps in the beginning, but if I start to talk to them about, okay, um, like eating whole sourced foods, things that are going to be, you know, generally found on the outside of the grocery store are generally going to be better and more nutritious things that are more, uh, nutritionally dense, calorically less dense. Um, that's a good start. And then you think about what the things that you were eating, um, there's as far about as cognitive health goes, I mean, there's boatloads of research around things like fish oil. I just had fish for dinner uh, for this. Uh, My wife hates when I cook fish. I don't get much fish. I got to rely <laughs> so, on the fish oil supplement. Yeah, take the fish oil supplement. Yeah. Boatloads of research on um, co- uh, things like um, fish oil for cognitive decline and cognitive health, as well as um, they have uh, research around kids' uh, intake of fish uh, or fish oil-related supplements and behavioral issues. And so again, your brain, your brain is made from omega threes. Your brain is made, um, from, you know, fatty acids. This is eventually how you make, you know, uh, the gray matter in your brain is from fatty acids. And so it stands to believe if you're a little bit deficient, it makes a very, very big difference. Um, and so starting to say, okay, because people always want to ask supplements. I'm like, okay, really simple fish oil and vitamin D. Can you take those two things? Um, because they're, those are the most well researched as far as um, you know brain health goes, um, and there's a, or overall health goes really, and there's tons of upside and very little downside other than the p- potential costs. Um, yeah. And then actually, creatine is the other one for cognitive health that is uh, hugely important. I think people have always been kind of afraid of creatine. It's like a sports performance supplement. I know parents, especially, always say to me, is it going to make these kids' kidneys fail? And there's no research around that at all. There's actually a lot of research to show, one, from a strength standpoint and health standpoint, it's very valuable, but tons of research um, around concussion recovery, around cognitive health uh, for adults long-term for low-grade intakes. So I always start with whole foods and basic nutritional choices, but then if we move into like brain health and optimal health, those are kind of the three things I tell people to start to look towards. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's crazy. Vitamin D, especially I, I, I mean, don't really, the fish oil is awesome. Like I love the vitamin D for like the mood and the energy and everything mm-hmm. that it helps with, especially, I don't know. In Bo- I'm sure you guys are dealing with the darkness too, this time of the year. And it's, it's, oh, yeah. it's brutal. <laughs> I mean, I get up and go to work and it's dark. I come home and it's dark. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I used to get seasonal depression from that. And then I finally read somewhere about the vitamin D it was in one of my kinesiology classes and I started taking it in the fall and it was crazy. I was like, I didn't have the seasonal depression anymore just by yeah. taking that supplement alone. Yeah. Um, all right. So the last part here with our cognitive health is the stress, you know, and especially as parents, mm-hmm. so much stress and sleep is such a hard topic to talk about with parents because right. Like as parents, as your kids get older, you get more sleep, but like, right. Like young parents, your sleep is so up in the air. But it's still important to get, you know, as much as we can. And you gave a good um, analogy about, you know, the woman who like cleaned MBSC and, you know, you talked about that, like kind of like our brain. And I thought it was a good way to put it because I think that we we do put our sleep on the back burner or we don't prioritize it. And we're not here. I'm not here to say, right, like your daughter is going to wake up in the middle of the night. You're going to have those bad nights. But like in general, I don't know if we all recognize the really the importance of sleep other than just to feel good the next day. What's really going on in that process? Yeah, yeah. So the story I'd give is that the woman at the time, the cleaning was Ursula was actually her name. And they she comes overnight every night. So like we close around 9pm. Typically, she's showing up with her and her her team. I was gonna say because your place is big. So God bless Ursula. if She's doing that by herself. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. She's got a squad. She's got a squad. They come in and they clean, but they come every night. And I'll tell you, there's a few nights when they miss it. And I come in the next day, I'm like, this place looks terrible. 
The clients know it looks terrible. It doesn't smell good. It doesn't function as well in there. The trash is piling up. It starts to be a mess. And so we're very much like, hey, we need to have somebody here every night. Like we do a, a basic cleanup. We take out the trash. Uh, we clean up the the equipment. We wipe down benches, but they come and they clean the floors. They clean the turf. They clean the bathrooms. They clean the entryway. They clean the windows. They do all that type of stuff. Um, and they do it every night. And, and when they don't do it, we notice. If they don't do it for two days in a week in a row, it's really bad. Um, and so we had had cleaning companies we got rid of before because they didn't do it. But I liken it to sleep because what happens when you sleep, there's plenty of research on this, is your brain goes into reset and regeneration mode. And so there's actually periods of your sleep where the blood flow and activity is even higher than it is when you're up during the day. Um, and that's because... There's a lot of reset. There's cleaning of waste materials. Like um, over the day, like you have things like plaques that build up. The plaques are kind of behind the Alzheimer's theory of why uh, you have cognitive decline as you get older. These things get cleaned away at night. Your brain is continually operating and, and breaking down things that aren't necessary, building up uh, nerve routes that are necessary, the way you solidify motor patterns that you learn during the day. Like if you're learning an exercise or practicing something or trying to uh, – you know, memorize something for a test is when you sleep. When they say sleep on it, it's because you actually lay down uh, myelin. You start to build new motor patterns. You start to build new uh, pathways in your brain that you didn't have before because your brain needs to be shut down so your body can, your brain can actually do the work to do it. And so I, I tell people like, listen, you can, you can cut out on sleep for one night for something here. And you might cut on sleep for a few nights and you might have fragmented sleep because you have kids. But being consistent about, hey, I'm going to try to go to bed at the same time or roughly the same time. And I'm going to try to get up around the same time every day. And when I can get my sleep, I'm going to prioritize my sleep. So, for instance, tomorrow, I don't have to go in as early. Um, and so I, Ariel, and I, Ariel and I, we trade off like, hey, if she gets up tonight, you'll take it. Uh, if, you, if she gets up tomorrow night, I'll take it. So she's like, hey, you can sleep tomorrow morning. Because you've been up early and up with her the last few nights. And I'm like, okay. And so like we, again, intentional about our communication, but intentional about our sleep because how we treat each other isn't as good when we don't sleep well. How I do at my job isn't as good when we don't, when I don't sleep well. Um, how I uh, feel just on a daily basis isn't as good. And so it's amazing. Like I know you've probably had this experience. You get like a good eight hour night of sleep a couple nights in a row and you literally feel like you're on drugs. You're like, Oh my God, like I can do anything. It's like, yeah. uh, like I, I could literally like, could, I'm so smart. And I'm like, no, that's just like how you should feel every day when you actually sleep. And it's, I know it's hard because we have yeah. so many things pulling at our attention, especially now you have a phone, a computer, all these things. So your sleep hygiene, Hey, don't have your phone next to your bed, have an analog alarm clock. Um, don't have bright lights in your room. Like do's blackout shades, all these little things, turning the temperature down a little bit. All are going to help you sleep a little bit better. And it's these marginal gains over time that will help you, you know, be more successful and feel better long-term. Yeah. Our, uh, our joke right now in our house is if we get a night away, we just want to go to a hotel at like 6 PM and just sleep for like yes. a full day and just get some <laughs> sleep. I'm currently also, you know, that new bed cover that's come out that like is supposed to like change the temperature while you're sleeping and like, yep. um, Mike's like, um, put it out there. I keep the sending it. To, yeah. I keep sending yeah. it to my wife and I'm like, come on, Em, let's, let's get this. And she's like, no, we're not. She's like, we, she's like, that's not our problem is our sleep in our bed. We just aren't getting enough sleep from the kids right now, but I'm still trying yeah. at it. I'm still trying to get that bed cover. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I listen, I, I I'll, I'll try to kind of, I'm trying to work on that one too. Actually, I'm going to send that woman a message and tell her, uh, 
that you and I are looking to, to get ourselves one of those, see if we can score ourselves a promo code or something. There we go. Yeah. If we can score one of those, that would be great. And we'll, we'll do a review of how well we're sleeping, right? The, yes. the, the, the parent bed system, something, right? Like, exactly. Help, help us young parents out. Exactly. Uh, all right. So you, this has been awesome. You know, you've given so much information here that I think anyone can benefit from in some way, in some aspect. You also gave so much where it might be overwhelming for some people. Like, where do I even begin? Yeah. So I want to give you the floor here. I want to say, let's, you mm -hmm. can either be talking to yourself. You could be talking just to like the world of parents, maybe like frustrations you have in general with people. You work with people all day and there's stuff you'd love to say to them that you just can't say. Um, you know, let's say this is like a free space for you. What do you want to say to either help you out if you are in a situation where you just need basic guidance? Like, what is one thing that you would tell someone, hey, if you are in a horrible place right now, you're, you, you just, you need to do something to start moving in the right direction. What are like your bare ass minimums or your big rocks that you would give to this person to say, focus on this and you're going to start feeling better and your health is going to start improving. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll give you my answer based on two books that I use when it comes to like think about habit generation, right? Okay. So there's Atomic Habits by James Clear, really yep. good book about habit generation. And then there's the book called The One Thing. It's just called The One Thing. I actually don't remember who the author is. I have it somewhere. Okay. Um, I haven't read that. I've read Atomic Habits. I haven't read The One Thing though. And The One Thing, the thing that, that he focused on, it's like, what's the one thing that you can do to that will impact everything else in your life and make it better? Because if you try to focus on all 10 things, you're probably not going to do it, right? And so try to sit down and write like, what is the one thing that you could start trying to get better at um, that you could put a little energy towards that will impact everything else. So whether that's sleep, Hey, I'm going to work on just my sleep hygiene, because if I sleep a little better, I'll be a better parent. I'll be a better husband. Um, I'll be a better employee. I'll be more willing to exercise and I'll be healthier. So maybe that's a good place to start. Or, Hey, if I start, you know, walking every day, it'll help me de-stress. It'll probably help me burn a few more calories. It might help me sleep better because I'm less stressed. Um, and then um, from there, I can maybe build up more of a concrete exercise habit long term. So start to think like, what's the one thing that you need to start on? Because um, I think sometimes, like you said, it is information overload. And um, with that one thing, going to atomic habits, like James Clear said, is find something that only takes like a few minutes a day. Like some, find something that just takes a few minutes to start. Um, because if you can do it for a few minutes for a month, then you can keep that habit forever probably. And then you can start to build that habit off of that. So I always tell people like, what's the one thing you can start to do that you can do in a few minutes a day? Uh, whether that's going for a walk, like, Hey, I want you to go take a 10 minute walk after your, during your lunch break and come back that you do that consistently for a month. It's harder than you think for a lot of people. There, there's, they might do it for five days and then they're like, I can't do it today. But like, you can't take 10 minutes to walk down the street and back. Yeah. Um, like I have a guy that I was training that has a business down the street from us. And I'm like, I just want you to walk down to me every day at lunch and walk back. You don't even have to work out. Um, he's my friend. And I'm like, just do that. Right. You'll be surprised how much better you feel and how much motivated are you continue to do things when you start to do that. So I say, do the one thing and something that just takes a little bit of like 10, 15 minutes a day at the most. And then let's go from there. Um, and then you can start to really build habits, concrete and long-term from that. So I think most people just need to self-reflect and find what the one thing is to start. And then you're going to build habits from there. But if you try to, this is the time of the year. It's, it's the first week of January. This mm -hmm. is when, you know, everyone tries to take on everything at once. I always say like, you know, I would say resolutions should be like pizza, right? 
Um, you know, save some for later. Don't eat it all at once. Um, share it with friends, get a social support group, um, because it's going to be easier to do. Yeah. Don't try to eat all the slices at once. Um, and maybe try different slices at different times. Hey, if that didn't work, right. If, if, you know, you don't like, uh, pineapple on your pizza, you know, try the cheese. Maybe you don't like doing spinning. Great. Go try strength training, or maybe you don't like strength training. Go try, uh, swimming. Whatever physical activity you like is what you should start with. And so don't try to think I need to start with, you know, this. Go find the one that's right for you to be consistent and, and go from there. I'm, I'm stealing that one for social media for sure. I'll make sure. I, I, I have an image. I have an image, like a little infographic. I'll send it to you. All right. That's awesome. Well, yeah. I think that's like that's a mic drop statement right, right there, that, that sum up of everything. And I think that yeah. really does summarize everything. So, you know, with that being said, you know, just to kind of close here, um, number one, thank you, you know, for yeah. joining me on here and, you know, helping all the parents who listen to this, you know, there's no question they're going to benefit from listening to this and appreciate, you know, you sharing all the knowledge. I, I'd say, you know what, parents who want to continue to learn from you, you're in so many places, right? You know, CFSC, Movement is Medicine, yeah. your personal account, like, where would you direct people if they want to keep, you know, hearing from you, whether maybe getting in touch with you, whatever that is, what would be the best place to do that? Instagram at movement is medicine. You'll probably get the most training and health-based information. So I would start there. That'd probably be the best place to go. If you message me, I'll get back to you. And there's a, I tend to put a lot of information out there. So I'd say go there. Awesome. Well, Kevin, thanks again for joining. Appreciate having you on. And yeah, thanks again. You're awesome. My pleasure, Jeff. Thanks for having me.